Some of you are going to find this a bit incredulous, but here's something that federal, state, and local governments all tell us to do that we should actually listen to. Eat more fruits and vegetables. You've heard about the health benefits of increasing plant-based nutrients into your diet, but how can you easily consume all the fruits and veggies needed? Well, it's easy. By adding Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity into your meals. Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity is a power blend that has 31 fruits and vegetables in every scoop. Organic vegetables, super greens, super fruits, and super sprouts. It is fortified with essential vitamins plus an immunity boost. And right now, you can get a free two-week supply of Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity by just paying $8.95 for the shipping and handling. And not only that, you'll also get a free frother to quickly whip up your healthy and nutritious grown American drink. Go to grownamericansuperfood.com forward slash John and order today. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. Welcome to Tell Me Everything here on SiriusXM Progress. My name's Joe Sudby. I'm guest hosting for John tonight. Look forward to spending the next few hours with all of you, and I'll be here again on Thursday as well. We have a lot of news to cover. We have a lot of great guests coming. It's going to be a fun night, an action-filled night. And you know who's having a lot of action these days is President Joe Biden. Yesterday, of course, we saw him in Kiev. I really, I, I woke up to that news, and I, I was, I was wondering if he would try to go to go into uh, Ukraine. But I thought, you know, it's too risky. And there he was with President Zelensky as we approached the one-year anniversary of the invasion of the country of Ukraine by Russia. Today, President Biden was in. Poland. He addressed a very large crowd and really rededicated the United States resolve to remain a partner of NATO and an ally of Ukraine in this ongoing war. And he didn't hold back when talking about Russia. He was very, very clear in his thinking about that country and who they are and what they have done. And I want to play a clip of uh, the president today. The whole speech was terrific. It was just really great, uh, President Biden. But I particularly want to play a clip of him actually referring to Russia as war criminals. I'll never forget last year visiting with refugees from Ukraine who had just arrived in Warsaw, seeing their faces exhausted and afraid, holding their children so close, worrying they might never see their fathers, their husbands, their brothers, their sisters again. In that darkest moment of their lives, you, the people of Poland, offered them safety and light. You embraced them. You literally embraced them. I watched. I watched the looks on their faces. Meanwhile, together we made sure 
Russia is paying the price for its abuses. We continue to maintain the largest sanction regime ever imposed in any country in history. And we're going to announce more sanctions this week together with our partners. We'll hold accountable those who are responsible for this war. And we'll seek justice for the war crimes and crimes against humanity continuing to be committed by the Russians. That was President Biden today in Warsaw. And we have another clip uh, of, of him on that same uh, theme. Let's play that one, too, Chris. For free people refuse to live in a world of hopelessness and darkness. You know, this has been an extraordinary year in every sense. Extraordinary brutality from Russian forces and mercenaries. They've committed depravities, crimes against humanity, without shame or compunction. They've targeted civilians with death and destruction, used rape as a weapon of war, stolen Ukrainian children in an attempt to, in an attempt to steal Ukraine's future, bombed train stations, maternity hospitals, schools, and orphanages. No one. No one can turn away their eyes from the atrocities Russia is committing against the Ukrainian people. It's abhorrent. It's abhorrent. But extraordinarily, as well, has been the response of the Ukrainian people and the world. One year after the bombs began to fall, Russian tanks rolled into Ukraine. Ukraine is still independent and free. Ukraine is still independent and free. Joe Biden was there yesterday in Kiev. Today he's in Warsaw giving that speech, just calling out crimes against humanity, accusing the Russians of doing what they're doing, basically. We have all seen the evidence. And, you know, what was Putin's response? He's withdrawn from a nuclear treaty with the United States. He's, you know, pontificating and beating his chest. Look, a year ago, thought he was going to be the one in Kiev. And he wasn't. And he's not going to be there ever. Joe Biden was. So the president will be in uh, Poland for a few more days, and uh, we'll keep track of what he has to say and the r relationships he's discussing with other uh, NATO allies about what to keep doing against the invasion, the invaders and the war criminals in Russia. A lot of other news tonight. A big election night. Yes, it's a big election night. And I just want to say, like I always say, like a lot of us say, every year is an election year. This is an election year. In Virginia, voters elected a new member of Congress. Democratic State Senator Jennifer McClellan is the first black woman to represent Virginia in Congress. She's filling the seat vacated by the death of Don McEachin in November. Democrats are now at 213 seats. They have a full caucus again. And she's winning by a lot more than expected. Like, she is racking up. She's winning counties that her opponent, who ran in November actually won. She's having a big turnout. She has done the work. This is tremendous news. We've also had Democrats flip a state House seat in New Hampshire. It's a big win. 
Democratic Representative Chuck Grassi won 56 to 44 in a special election. This one's important because it was a tie in November, a tie. Yes, a tie. And now he's won it by 12 points. Republicans now hold majority 201 to 199. That is a very tight majority for them. And let's just say New Hampshire, which is not a big state, has 400 members of its House of Representatives. 400. Anyways, this was a big win tonight. We're going to be talking later in the evening with David Neer, the political editor at Daily Coast, who runs Daily Coast Elections. He's on this channel a lot. We're going to get an update from him at the 11 o'clock hour. The polls just closed in Wisconsin. That's a state that a lot of people are paying very close attention to. The marquee race is for the nonpartisan primary for seat on the state Supreme Court. And this state Supreme Court, if Democrats can, well, it's a nonpartisan, but look, there's two liberals running and two conservatives running today. Two of them will face off on April 4th. It is for control of the Supreme Court, which sets a lot of policy in this state. We know Wisconsin is one of the worst gerrymandered states. Democrats do well statewide, but they are at a severe disadvantage in the state Senate and in the state House. There's also a primary tonight for a state Senate seat in Wisconsin. And there's a real effort to help elect the most extreme Republican so that uh, Democrats have a chance in a couple of months, too. So we'll get that update from David Neer. Every year is an election year and 2023 is no different. So a uh, couple other races that David and I will jump into, too. So wanted to make sure everyone's aware of that in the next hour. We're going to be talking to Dr. Tracy Pearson, and I'm excited to talk to her because there's several legal issues that have, you know, really come to the forefront. And I have to tell you, the Georgia grand jury, the Fulton County grand jury is getting a ton of news today. Now, last week, we know the judge released some excerpts from the report the grand jury presented they thought that there were a lot of people who had committed perjury. There wasn't a lot of information in it. The judge set very specific guidelines by which members of the grand jury could speak. And the foreperson of the grand jury, a woman named Emily Kors, is speaking. She's spoken to a lot of media outlets today. She's been on CNN, MSNBC. She has been, uh, she talked to the New York Times. And she talked to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I just want to read some of the conversation, some of the reporting from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. This is the hometown paper. It's in Fulton County. Okay, A Fulton County special grand jury recommended that multiple people be indicted following a nearly eight-month investigation where it examined potential criminal interference in Georgia's 2020 elections, according to the jury forewoman. Quote, it's not a short list, end quote, North Fulton resident Emily Kors said in a wide-ranging interview with the Atlanta Journal-Constitution on Tuesday afternoon. Okay, so then I scroll down a little bit. I'm reading it, right? Then we get to this, this section of the article. When AJC reporters on Tuesday told Kors about the reaction from Donald Trump, Donald Trump said he was completely exonerated. And they told her about that, the reporters. She burst out laughing. This is her quote. 
Did he really say that? Oh, that's fantastic. That's phenomenal. I love it. When asked if she had any response, she said, I invoke my Fifth Amendment right. That's what I have to say. So she didn't say who was indicted or who was going to be indicted or who wasn't going to be indicted. But she told us there would be no surprises. And I don't know. I just kind of the fact that she burst out laughing when was she was told by reporters that Donald Trump said it, he was exonerated. I don't know. I don't know. Makes me makes me think maybe something's going to happen. So we don't know when Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis will release her indictments. I have to think it's probably coming soon. So we have so much more to talk about. Oh, also in politics, Senator Barbara Lee, Representative Barbara Lee, kicked off her campaign for the United States Senate in California. She joins Katie Porter and Adam Schiff in that race to for Dianne Feinstein's seat. Also, I mentioned, when I mentioned um, Representative-elect Jennifer McClellan brought the Democratic caucus up to 213. There had been a vacancy because of Don McEachin's death. Today we learned that Congressman David Cicilline from Rhode Island, he's a great liberal, a gay man who has been represented for over a decade. He announced he's resigning on May 31st, he's starting a job with the foundation in Rhode Island. So there'll be another vacancy, although, and there'll be a lot of people running for that seat. It's a very Democratic seat. So it'll be a Democratic win. But the governor has to wait until he's officially resigned to set that process in motion. But he won't drag it out like Governor DeSantis did down in Florida after Elsie Hastings died and he left that seat vacant for a long time. Fortunately, there's a Democratic governor who's not going to play that game and actually make sure that the constituents of Rhode Island's first district have a new member. So lots to cover Lots more to talk about in a few minutes when we're joined by Max Burns. So this is Tell Me Everything here on SiriusXM Progress. I'm Joe Sedby. We'll be back in just a few minutes. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day so what makes a life a good one in the coast guard we think it's all of the above and more but you'll have to find out for yourself visit gocoastguard.com to learn more okay picture this it's friday afternoon when a thought hits you i can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or i can hop into my all-new hyundai santa fe and hit the road with available h-track all-wheel drive and three-row seating my whole family can head deep into the wild conquer the weekend in the all-new hyundai santa fe visit hyundaiusa.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details hyundai there's joy in every journey Good evening, everyone. Welcome back to Tell Me Everything. I'm Joe Sudbay, guest hosting for John Fugelsang tonight. Always appreciate this opportunity to spend time with the great SiriusXM Progress audience. And also because I get to talk to people who I love to talk to. And one of those people is our next guest, 
Max Burns, Public Relations Society of America, award-winning Democratic strategist, a political columnist, and the author of a very, very badass Substack, The Third Degree, to which I subscribe and I suggest everyone does. Max, welcome back. How are you? Hey, thanks so much for having me. That was a very kind introduction. Oh, well, I, I, and I met everyone. <laughs> so, 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 okay, I've, you know, did a quick opening. A lot of electoral stuff happening today, Max. And, um, of course, this grand jury down in Fulton County. But I want to talk about an, another part of Georgia and the member of Congress uh, from the 14th Congressional District, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Hate to spend too much time talking about her, but she is pretty much the voice of the GOP, and she certainly controls the Republican House right now. She made kind of a startling announcement over the weekend, and you wrote about it on uh, your Substack, The Third Degree. Talk about that. Tell everyone what the Congresswoman did. Yeah, so Marjorie Taylor Greene, uh, is apparently walking back her attempt to become a grown-up in the room, uh, as we saw her try to do uh, during the speaker vote, and is talking about a national divorce between red states and blue states. And if you think that sounds a lot like a civil war, you're absolutely right. And today, she actually doubled down on that and tried to explain it through, attempting to justify secession, which is a very strange position for a member of the United States Homeland Security Committee to take, but that's where we are right now. Yeah, and she, her tweet, we need a national divorce. We need to separate by red states and blue states and shrink the federal government. Everyone I talk to says this, from the sick and disgusting woke culture issue shoved down our throats to the Democrats' traitorous America last policies. Um, okay, now, their policies, democratic policies, are you know designed to help the American people, which of course she would consider traitorous. And I mean, I kind of feel like Max, and uh, I'd be interested in your thought. To me, a traitorous act is when you encourage a coup attempt and when you storm the Capitol to block the proceedings to install <laughs> to elect a new president. That seems a bit traitorous, and she was right in the thick of all of that. Oh, absolutely. And beyond just cheerleading what became the January 6th attack, you know, pushing QAnon conspiracies that would overtly call for the assassination of her colleagues. This is a person who is one of the most powerful Republicans in America. She stands at the right hand of Kevin McCarthy's speakership. And it isn't enough to have fomented an insurrection. She would like a full on civil conflict. I mean, the, if anyone thinks that what she's talking about is a peaceable approach, her comments today made clear that she thinks this is the best idea, even if it is uh, a conflict in the making. And that is, to me, nothing short of, of essentially arguing the case for war against her own government. It really is. You know, to, to her, for her to say, uh, the other thing she said is if 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 people today, if people move from red states to blue states, blue states to red states, they shouldn't be able to vote for five years. I mean, like this is the, everything about this is so ludicrous. And 
Max, five years ago, this would have been on the fringes of the fringe of the kind of conservative movement. But as you say, and as we all know, she is now a central figure in the Republican Party. And Kevin McCarthy, I mean, he can't do anything about it because he'll lose his seat. She owns him and she has control over him. And where does this go, though? That's the whole thing. And we're, you don't see a lot of other Republicans speaking out against her. I, I saw one, Liz Cheney, but she's not a member of Congress anymore. Where does this go from here, Max? Well, Marjorie Taylor Greene can certainly build some weird coalitions because you find uh, this rhetoric being condemned by, as you said, Liz Cheney and also Lauren Boebert, two people who agree on nothing except that Marjorie Taylor Greene is certainly a danger for the amount of power that she has. The, the question is, I, I completely believe she says this just to raise money. Marjorie Taylor Greene understands uh, better than almost any Republican today what gets MAGA donors to open their wallets. And it's stuff like this. And they do this because it's a lot easier than governing. You mm -hmm. haven't heard any coherent policy proposals for anything from Kevin McCarthy. But what you've seen a lot of is Hunter Biden, Twitter, and powerful Republicans talking about overthrowing the government. And it, it is just designed to keep your eye off the fact that nothing is getting done. Right. Nothing is getting done. Um, and, you know, the, the most you get from Republicans are stunts and photo ops. Kevin McCarthy ran down to the border last week because that, of course, is a favorite backdrop for Republicans. Um, they don't have any policy solutions when they go to the border. They don't ever offer anything except to talk about open borders and claim the borders are open, which they aren't. And they've actually had border security officials come to their hearings and tell them that. But they still say it. You know, and the only people who who use that information is the cartels. But it's really kind of phenomenal. There is no agenda. All of the bills that they told us they were going to pass, Kevin McCarthy was going to do these 10 bills and get them done. They're not doing anything. And um, it really is a uh, it, it's it's a group of people who are more interested in you, as you said, in Taylor Green is raising money. And that's that's what they're doing. They're all it's all about raising money and getting on Fox News. No, that's absolutely right. And they have perfected the art of that. And it's more than just uh, a vehicle to raise money. These far right Republicans have really turned these media platforms into the base of the Republican Party. Mm -hmm. So there mm -hmm. is no Republican establishment anymore. It's Tucker Carlson, Sean Hannity, Laura Ingram. These people we see from these leaked text messages, not leaked, released by the courts, um, were very intertwined in the operations of the Republican Party at the same time as they're going on television and in some cases saying the exact opposite of what they've said they know to be true just minutes before. And it really has revealed how the power shift has happened in just the last four years to where the Fox News is the RNC for all intents and purposes. And it's been fascinating to see how deep that rot has penetrated. Yeah, it, it really is. And, and Max, last week, when this deposition uh, was released in the Dominion uh, lawsuit against Fox News, 192 pages, 
absolutely riveting. And, you know, they they started it by saying Fox knew Fox knew they and, and, and what we saw from the text messages from all of the players, including Rupert Murdoch, including those three you just named Hannity, Carlson and Ingram. They they knew that they were lying to their listeners and felt that they needed to to keep their listeners in their audience. It was really, really deranged. But the other thing is, you know, we've had a few days to really kind of um, grasp this. And my question is, has anything changed with the way the rest of the political world and the rest of the media treat Fox News? It is, you know, it is on full display for all of us. What are your thoughts on that? I'm shocked at how little has actually Mm. come from this. You know, it it does sort of portray a country that through Donald Trump has become very, very, very numb to scandal, all but the largest of scandals, that something like this uh, would would pass by without stopping the presses everywhere. I mean, you have nothing less in these texts than uh, a major media network collaborating with Republicans in a way that they know is false, uh, not just taking direction from what uh, Republican politicians want them to say, but actively telling Republican politicians what to say. And in any other news network, the loss of confidence here would be ending. There would be no way you could continue on. Uh, But with Fox, they've, I think, worn this on their sleeve for so long that it isn't that shocking. We've all sort of known it to be true. But to see it here in print uh, is it really should be a bigger deal than it is. Well, you know, what's interesting about that, Max, is when you say we have known it to be true, you and I and our, our, many of our colleagues, colleagues on this channel, uh, John and Dean and Mike and Zerlina have, and, and Tom have all known it. And it has been pretty clear. And Media Matters has for years told us this. And I saw a tweet from Oliver Darcy from CNN last week, and he, he, he was like, it's not Media Matters saying this. It's Fox executives. Yeah, yeah. It's not Media Matters saying this. Does that penetrate? And he actually was on CNN and said, I think the message has exposed Fox as a propaganda network. Again, nothing that surprises us. But, you know, I feel like there's as much as Trump has influenced it, as you said, but there's also kind of this inability of the media, uh, the kind of political media to actually think that, that Fox isn't in the club because once you're in that club, you're in and oh, sure, Tucker says some things here and Sean says some things here. But it, it's it's really kind of it feels so dangerous to me this moment. It is. And it's shocking to me that these newspapers and, and other media networks, if for no reason other than competition, yeah. uh, have not dug into this with a deep investigative look. Because now that this is out there, I guarantee you there are people at Fox willing to talk uh, either on the record or on background with an investigative reporter to to flesh this out. People who have seen this happening and maybe felt that they would not be believed or or would would have a uh, the bulk of the effort to make their case before stuff like this was public. But we don't see any of that. This is treated as almost acceptable behavior when, in fact, is conflict of interest. Uh, writ large, every single decision they make. The one I think that stood out to me was was Tucker Carlson talking about how uh, the 
claims of election theft were insane, that these people were nuts, that they were lying. And then an hour later, going out to millions of viewers and saying this election was stolen. We are looking into it. We found evidence of this. Uh, it, it just really shakes your faith in the ability of the media to regulate itself. Yeah, um, it, it, it really does. And um, uh, Rupert Murdoch, at one point, one of the things that jumped out to me, Rupert Murdoch asked, have we have we done this? Have we provided misinformation? And the Fox president, Suzanne Scott, actually provided him a list with over 50 items. And that's now evidence in this trial. And the other thing about this, you know, like you said, we're I'm sure there are people at Fox willing to talk. Well, we haven't gotten this um, deposition. uh, This actually, it was a motion for summary judgment in the case. Um, Doesn't even include the full deposition from Rupert Murdoch. I I talked to Angelo Carasone from Media Matters the other night, and he, you know, knows this stuff so well. And he said, there's Dominion has a lot more information. And, um, you know, with the motion for summary judgment, if the Judge says, yeah, you have proven, you know, you have proven your case. He could rule for Dominion right there. But that may probably won't happen. So that means there's a lot more stuff to come. And it's really I mean, it's it's so jarring. And what's the crazy thing is, Max, you and I read this stuff and go, "Uh uh-huh. Yep. mm -hmm, Of course they are. Of course they are. I wonder, is anyone genuinely surprised? Anyone? anyone. There did seem to be some media people who were like, oh, my God, Fox is really like this. Like, what? (laughs) Where have you been? There is an alarming sort of naivete around it. But I think what what really it lays out for me, it just the plain language in which they spoke to each other about how ridiculous these lies were and how clearly they were coordinating messaging. And just in some cases, Sean Hannity sending talking points two Republican politicians and saying, if you say this, I'll put it on my show and then people can come on and talk about it and amplify it uh, shows you that they didn't fear any consequences, that this was completely accepted behavior. They didn't care that it was wrong. And anyone who tried to even point out those lies, they just explicitly called to be fired. There's there is no sense of, of ethics left in that organization at all. And that's only going to harden the support of their viewers, which is in some ways uh, shows you just how polarized the country has become. Yeah, really does. And, and the other thing, and I, I talked to Angela about this and got a couple calls about it when I was hosting for Mike on Friday. You know, the absolute disdain they had for their viewers, like, you know, we know they had disdain because they were like, you couldn't get into the Fox building unless you showed that you were vaccinated. And then they go on TV and you know, downplay vaccinations and downplay the whole COVID um, pandemic. Um, so they didn't care if they got sick and died. But it, it really came through. And a couple of our callers are like, you know what? Their listeners don't care. They're also believe they're such Kool-Aid drinkers and they they're such hardcores. But there is there is I think it does give you know, kind of um, support to people who've lost family members to Fox News to go in and say they really do hate you. They really do. And this is in their own words. It's not me telling you. Read their own words. Won't change much, but, you know, you got to try, right? And I do think there's a lot of value to amplifying this story because I think that most Americans who watch Fox News probably don't know that the level of coordination 
and the the level of collaboration with these lies was as much as as this. I think maybe they had a thought, but they haven't looked into it. They're not going to spend the amount of time you and I do digging into this stuff right. every day. So to have this evidence and the ability to to share it widely, that's a public service that now other media outlets have to perform uh, in order to even have an attempt at controlling this propaganda virus that Fox is putting out. Max Burns, so great to talk to you again. The Max Burns on Twitter, <laughs> as long as Twitter sticks around. And also the author of The Third Degree on Substack. Check it out, maxburns.substack.com. It's great to talk to you, Max. Take care. Thanks so much. Bye. We'll be back in a few minutes here on Tell Me Everything, and we'll get on the phones then. Talk to you soon. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Well, welcome back. And, you know, a couple weeks ago after the State of the Union... John invited me on to give my analysis, and it was really fun. But one of the best parts was I got to meet for the first time Dr. Tracy Pearson. And I'm really excited that tonight she's here and I'm here. We have a lot to talk about. You know, she's a legal analyst, a consultant. She appears on television, radio, podcast. She's really all over the place. And she's got a lot of very smart things to say, and she's going to share them with us now. Welcome back, Tracy. It's great to talk to you again. It's great to talk to you again, too. I'm excited to be here. And and boy, have you set me up for high expectations. I'm a little <laughs> bit nervous. Well, I have to say, I know we you will meet and exceed all expectations. So let's start because we're both... Um, Legalish. I, mean, I am a lawyer. I passed the bar, but not like a real lawyer. And you are, of course, a legal analyst. What we're hearing from this grand jury for person in Fulton County, what are your initial thoughts on what she's been all over the media today? I'm interested in your initial thoughts and then let's dive into it a little bit. Oh, uh, well, I, I, yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I like to describe myself as a recovering real lawyer in that um, I'm, I'm no longer willing to go into the lion's den. I think that, that she needs a job and she's doing her best to get herself out there. Um, I am very concerned with how close she's treading to the line of what she can talk about. She is literally everywhere. I mean, we, we were talking before the show. She's she's everywhere. She's in the Times. She's in on CNN. She's on all the networks. 
I was just looking on Twitter and um, there was a tweet by someone who was saying, get off TV. It's concerning to me because it, it could taint an, uh, a, a regular grand jury proceeding, even though this is a civil matter. And and it's it's George is very odd in this respect, the way that they they set this up. Um, I spent hours one night trying to figure it out. Interesting. I have, you know, I, I, it's interesting. Um, I had seen uh, I had seen um, MSNBC on earlier and Barbara McQuaid, um, who is uh, on this channel a lot. She does a regular um, uh, segment with Zerlina in the mornings. Brilliant and former prosecutor. And she said, as a former prosecutor, it like freaks her out to see a grand jury you know, anyone who served on a grand jury speaking about it. But apparently in Georgia, she is working within the law. She is allowed to talk about witnesses. She's not allowed to talk about witnesses and the jury's findings. That's the one thing. She can't talk about that. But she can't talk about the deliberations. It, it, like you said, it's a little complicated, but she was advised what she could do. And it seems like she's coming right up to the line of what she can do. Um, so she can't talk about the deliberations. She can't. <laughs> I'm, I'm even confusing myself as I talk about it, Tracy. It is. It is confusing. There are two kinds of grand juries in uh, Georgia. I've talked about this before, and I have to give credit to the folks at, um, at I think it's uh, Law Blog or um, if for, for an article that they wrote about, Lawfare, about some Lawfare of this. Blog. Yeah, Lawfare yeah. Blog. Um, yeah. they, they're just great people, and, and I'm so grateful for what they wrote. But it, it, to summarize it, um, it, unless you want to read it and, and have your eyes crossed, uh, it is, it's, it's well written, I will say that, is that it is that there are two kinds of grand juries. There's a grand jury and then there's a special grand jury. The one that we're talking about is a special grand jury. Now, what makes it even funnier is that uh, there's something called a presentment. Um, and they, in Georgia, with a special grand jury, they're called regular presentments. And with a regular grand jury, they're called special presentments. <laughs> special presentments are indictments, as, as you might think about a, a self-executing legal document that we all know about. So when you hear that someone's indicted, that's what they mean. Special grand juries do not issue indictments. So they are, in essence, civil by nature. And therefore, there is a uh, wide range of things that a, a four person can discuss with the media. And and that's what she's doing. I, I again, you know, they're, they're advisory. That report is advisory. Um, and the, the district attorney will will decide what charges uh, that she uh, takes from um, from that report and and maybe some some that that, that they come up with on their own uh, and and pursues in front of a regular grand jury to seek an indictment of um, any uh, potentially um, uh, parties, any targets um, of that grand jury. But it is right. it so, is confusing as heck. Yeah, it really is. 
And I mean, it's 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 what lawyers do. They make things as confusing as heck. No, as that's what legislators know. do. That's what legislators, legislators do. That's who wrote that stuff. <laughs> legislators and then lawyers interpreting it. But but the the thing is, is that like you said, this is a, a, this special grand jury has recommended indictments, and and she's led us to believe that they've recommended indictments for more than a dozen people. And um, I think when she was talking to NBC, she said. Something like that. They're, they're names you know. They're certainly names you'd recognize. And and I've read this a couple of times. I mean, when she was presented with the Atlanta Journal Constitution telling her that Donald Trump said that this special grand jury had exonerated him, she burst out laughing. Did he really <laughs> say that? Oh, that's fantastic. That's phenomenal. I love it. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I know you're not telling us anything that you can't tell us, but you're telling us. A lot of things without telling yes us. it's it's the way of uh it's the way she laughed yes um i agree with you i think that 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 she is speaking very loudly by not saying anything and um it is it is it is concerning to me i mean i you know i understand where barb's coming from i like her she's smart as a whip she's great um and i understand why she's she's a little bit uh freaked out about it and I would be too. I want this, whatever the charges are that come out of this, assuming that a grand jury does in fact indict, I want this sucker to stick. And yeah. I don't want there to be any ability to challenge anything because this woman's getting her 15 minutes of fame because that's what it's going to be, 15 minutes of fame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it is, and and look, it's in the hands of Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis, who many of us have gotten to know over the past couple of years, watching her on TV, giving interviews. She is smart and tough, and she's going to follow the law. She's going to do the right thing. And hopefully we'll know sooner or later, because uh, I like you, I, I'm like, that's the thing that made me cringe. I'm like, oh, my God, is she violating the rules? Is something going to happen? Is this going to throw off the process? And it's not. I've been assured by um, <laughs> by by the reading I've done. One of the people who I have followed is Anna Bauer, who uh, writes at Lawfare blog. That's what we've been talking about. And she's actually focusing specifically on this case. So I'm going to trust her on that. Um, and that and she's very she's been very adamant and actually rebuking some other lawyer legal types who have said that um, that uh, what uh, this woman is doing is kind of, you know, breaking laws. Nope, nope, that's not at all. You're not getting it right. So Emily Kors, yeah. Emily Kors apparently knows the limits of what she can do and hopefully will. Will I, 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 I? It's nice to see her, but I really want to see Fonnie Willis at a pre- <laughs> doing a press conference and soon. <laughs> is that too much to exactly. ask? I mean, it's been two years. It's it is you know the wheels of justice they spin so incredibly slowly, don't they? It is really really frustrating for for folks and I have been screaming at the top of my lungs to leave Merrick. Garland alone, uh, you know, people think that and, and this was the case when I was in practice, was that it, it, that somehow it was Burger King and that you could just roll through the drive through and get it your way. And you mm-hmm. just couldn't. And when you go to the courthouse steps, you get the relief that's afforded to you in the manner in which they wish to afford it to you. And so it takes a heck of a lot of time. And there's a lot of process that has to be followed and it has to be done correctly or it's going to get tossed out. 
And that is something we don't want to see happen. We don't want to see the sideshow, like, for example, what was happening down um, in Florida with, you know, I'm special. So I'm going to ask for a special or, you know, a special master to review everything before I even get charged and indicted uh, and get my discovery. I mean, that's what Donald Trump was doing, was trying to create a special process that was going to uh, to grant him special privileges. And we don't want to see any sort of uh, mucking around with that. We want to see this work and we want to see it work the same way for everybody. Absolutely right. And look, Donald Trump has learned how to manipulate the legal system. He learned it from Roy Cohn. Uh, I have to say, one of the things that helped me understand what Trump was doing better than anything was seeing the documentary, Where's My Roy Cohn, which is a story of Roy Cohn and his uh, the way he approached the law, which was completely corrupt and unethical, but his his biggest student was Donald Trump. Um, you, you mentioned the judge down in Florida, uh, Judge Eileen Cannon. She got a lot of attention. She certainly had her 15 minutes and showed us who she was, was rebuked by the 11th Circuit, which is not a progressive circuit at all. Um, and it, it, it made me think of um, an art, another article I told you I wanted to talk to you about. There is a, a piece in the Washington Post, uh, an op-ed column by Perry Bacon Jr., who I think is one of the best writers at the Washington Post. There's only one way to rein in Republican judges, shaming them. And, you know, he said, he said, this is the problem. America's judiciary is dominated by conservatives issuing an endless stream of rulings that help corporations, the rich and the bigoted, while hurting working class people, women and minorities in particular. That's all true. But, you know, <laughs> how do you shame shameless people is the question. Well, I read that article and I like him, too, but. I, I, you know, he's got a bachelor's degree in political science and, and he's brilliant from Yale, but he's no lawyer. And I read this and I cringed. I really did cringe. I, I want the legal process to work the same for everyone. And, and it doesn't, and it never will because of implicit bias. But I, I don't want us to politicize it. And the very, the very thing that we have a problem with is the the politicization of of our legal system by these conservative or republican judges and so what we're gonna do is we're going to try to shame them well first of all judges don't get shamed very easily if at all they don't care um it, generally speaking the only reason why the supreme court may care is because of uh, sort of the history and tradition aspect of the court and only because of this one particular chief justice that's that's in place. Um, but generally speaking, they don't care. And it's the clerks that write these decisions and they sit in their chambers and they do their things and they sit on their bench. But in, in essence, there are these full time clerks that, that do the research and write these decisions. And and of course, the judge you know, puts their 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 finger on it. But it is it is it is a a campaign. The idea that you're going to you're going to shame these people with press conferences at the White House and you're going to have uh, surrogates out there shaming these people. It just that's not what you do. Um, it takes a lot of effort. You got to work really hard for the 11th Circuit to rebuke you if, if you're in Florida where this right. judge uh, was. 
and or is and and so we have to let this process work one of the things i remember rachel maddow saying during um during the trump years was that our courts held our courts held and and had had they broken um had they had they not worked boy would we have been in trouble but they held and they held because judges decide things based on the law and we have a system depending on where you are we have a system that whether state court or federal court um that works in such a way that that there are people reviewing these decisions and you're given the benefit of um more eyes on it and there's a process and it's clear transparent published uh, and and it, there's a there's a way that it works and you can expect how it will work you may not like the outcome but that's the process we have and i don't want to be inserting any more politics that's already in there into it i could talk to you all night <laughs> dr tracy pearson on twitter at tracy explains what are you keeping your eye on what's something you you think everyone should pay attention to over the next few days and weeks Oh gosh, I you know I've got all my eyes on on Georgia. Uh, yeah. I want to see uh, how quickly this gets turned around. Um, again, quick in my mind is not necessarily quick in other people's minds. You have to impanel that grand jury and then bring those charges before the grand jury. But um, it, it, there are ways of doing it in a in a quick manner. But I keep my eyes on that. I got to tell you, I was proud of of seeing Joe Biden stroll down the streets of of the Ukraine and and that he made it to the Ukraine and to Kiev uh, long before uh, Vladimir Putin ever could. Yeah, so I, I I want to keep an eye on what's happening in Ukraine. I feel the same way. I uh, was I woke up yesterday to that news and I thought, holy shit. And then just seeing the visuals uh, was just very impressive. And hearing the story of how they pulled it off, too, and taking the train in. Just amazing. Anyways, Tracy, thank you so much. It's great to talk to you. And I'll be listening for you on uh, next week with John. Take care of yourself. <laughs> thank you. Good to talk to you. This is Joe Sudbury. We're going to take a break. We'll be back in just a few minutes. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Yes, welcome back. 
This is Tell Me Everything. I'm Joe Sudbay, guest hosting for John. And as I've been telling you all evening, we have the perfect guest for one of the most important election nights of 2023. Welcome back to SiriusXM Progress, David Neer. How are you, David? Joe, I am so good. <laughs> I was just thinking, you know, one of the last times we spoke, we've talked it once or twice on air in between, but was election night 2022 when we were both in very good moods and much better than we thought. And I'm getting that same kind of vibe from this evening. Give me your overall thoughts and then we'll dig into some of the important races. The results tonight, really from top to bottom, were freaking awesome for Democrats and progressives. So we got to start with the Wisconsin Supreme Court, right, yes. Joe? Let's go. Let's dig into that one right now. Yep. Okay. Bottom line, the court currently has a 4-3 conservative majority. A conservative justice has left an open seat, and there's going to be a general election in April for that seat. If progressives win that seat, they flip the court, and Wisconsin could change dramatically. And tonight was the primary for that race. And the numbers that we're seeing, Joe, are awesome. So the race was just called right before I came on the show tonight. The top two candidates advance. It's a technically nonpartisan primary, but everyone knows who the conservative is and who the liberal is. The leading vote getter is Judge Janet Protasiewicz. She got 46% of the vote in a four-way race statewide. That's what she's sitting on right now with more than 90% counted. In second place is conservative former state Supreme Court Justice Dan Kelly, who was just called for the second slot. And he beat out the somewhat more moderate suburban choice, Jennifer Doro, who was the other conservative in the race. And the, the second liberal finished far behind in fourth place. So progressives are super excited about this, A, because statewide, if you add up the vote for both progressive candidates and compare it to the vote for both conservative candidates. Right now, it's like 54, 46 progressive. And that's wild because in Wisconsin, statewide races are usually decided by one point. That might tighten a bit, but even so, it looks like it's going to favor progressives in the end. The other thing is that progressives really wanted Kelly. Kelly is a thuggish, far-right extremist. He lost a bid to win a full term on the Supreme Court in 2020. You might remember that race. That was the famous race that happened right at the peak early days of the pandemic. And uh, the, the, the most of the voting locations were shut down. And there was that famous photo of the voter holding that sign saying, this is freaking ridiculous or whatever it was. Um, yep. So, and he, he lost that race by 10 points. So he's a, he's a proven loser. And uh, God, you've got to feel good about our chances on April 4. It, it's so important. And D David, the year before that, 2019, uh, the conservative won a, a, a seat. And it was so maddening because it was under 6,000 votes. And, um, and, and this Wisconsin Supreme Court is so important. Put it in context for everyone. I, I had talked a little bit about it earlier in the show. But put it in the context of why this race is so important for so many issues that we all care about in that state. Okay, we're going to start with the number one issue of them all, and that is abortion. Abortion is illegal in Wisconsin, and that is because a law dating from 1849, when slavery was still permitted in much of this country, 
1849 ban on abortion came back into effect after the Supreme Court, the U.S. Supreme Court, struck down Roe v. Wade last year. And that ban is currently being challenged by the state's Democratic Attorney General, Josh Call. Obviously, if Call winds up bringing his case before a conservative-dominated court, then odds are, you know, we can't say for certain, but odds are they'll find that this ban is still legal. Whereas we've seen in a number of other states, state Supreme Courts have struck down or ruled unenforceable these ancient bans. There's a similar situation, for instance, pending in Arizona. So if Protosewitz wins this race, then look, there's no you, you can't guarantee no candidate for a, a, a court anywhere will ever promise I'm going to rule this particular way in this particular case. But I would feel very good about abortion once again becoming legal in the state of Wisconsin if she wins. That's really important. And one other point I want to make, and it's and it's a tweet I saw you had retweeted. It's actually in, in it was in your live blog, which I was keeping track of tonight, <laughs> the Daily Coast Elections live blogs, which are of course. just important, so important. Uh, but Charles Franklin, who's you know he's one of the guys out in Wisconsin who you pay attention to when he writes about things. He's predicting that um, turnout could be over a million votes. In 2020, it was just 700,000, just over 700,000. So in addition to a big win with big numbers, big turnout, and that's really important. Yeah, enthusiasm seems like it's really, really high. I think that probably we're gonna fall a bit short of a million, but still to set a record in a February primary mm -hmm. when you know uh, turnout is almost always low uh, is totally awesome. And also, Joe, that's really, the story of what we're seeing in other special elections around the country, including tonight. That's right. So bef before we leave this one, this oh, yes. race, though, there's one more thing I want to talk about. It's something that you and I have talked about. It's something that um, you have written about at De La Coast, you and your colleagues. Help, when Democrats work to pick the candidate they want to run against. And as you mentioned, they wanted to run against Dan Kelly. Uh, the other candidate had, you know, um, some good buzz, Judge Doro. She had um, gotten some good attention from Akashi, oversaw, but there was some money spent to make sure that the opponent on the conservative side is Kelly. And you and I both think that's a good thing to do. Talk a little bit about that, because I think it's important. Hell yeah, Joe. I am <laughs> thrilled to talk about that tonight because it really worked out really well. Yeah. Uh, progressive groups, third party progressive groups spent a lot of money, seven figures led by uh, a better Wisconsin together to uh, hammer Doro and to hopefully boost Kelly past her. Now, it was really sort of... Um, almost a, a, a two-pronged approach because these ads that they ran against Doro, they really flipped the script. And usually it's Democrats who of course get attacked as soft on crime. We saw that especially in Wisconsin last year with Mandela Barnes in the Senate race. But this time uh, the progressive ads hammered Doro for handing out some light sentences to criminal defendants. And so this was designed both to weaken her in the primary, but if she also had won and made it to the general election, then you can run the same ads there too. So really it's a twofer. It turned out that 
door number one worked splendidly. And, uh, and, 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 and this really is a tactic, you know, it's one of the rare areas where Democrats play hardball much more aggressively than Republicans. And people always, you know, talk about, oh, Democrats aren't being tough enough. And then finally last year, we saw Democrats do this all over the place. And you saw so much hand wringing in response, but it worked brilliantly. Democrats did this all over the country last year. They went eight for eight in races where they managed to successfully pick their opponents. And there's a really good chance they're they're going to do so again in the Supreme Court race. Yeah, there was a lot of fretting about it, but it's like, you know, and a lot of the fretting comes from kind of the punditry and the prognosticator crowd, too. But it does come from Democrats as well. And it's like, let's, yeah. you know, let's let's find strategies that we can use to win. And one of the reasons the House is as close as it is, is because of this very strategy. Um, it's districts like Wisconsin, I mean, Washington three, and then again in um, Michigan three. These are the kind of places where it really mattered that there was an extremist. And that's how helped Democrats win and why the margin is as close. Um, so I agree with you 100 percent. And I'm glad we get to talk about that tonight. And I'm glad that <laughs> and let's hope the strategy holds, because as you've mentioned and as you've laid out, this is such a critically important race in on April 4th. Uh, and I know uh, Daily Coast, you'll be raising money. Look, I think it's one of the races that if you're going to give to a state race this year, of course, uh, an early state race. We'll talk about Virginia later, but definitely um, consider dropping five, 10, 15 bucks into this one. Uh, David, uh, I just mentioned Virginia. And I, I, let's let's leap over to Virginia because yeah. Congressional race today, a big one. Expected Democrats to win, but did not expect Democrats to win this big. Talk about uh, Virginia's fourth congressional district. Yeah, so this is a safely Democratic, heavily black district that had been represented by Don McEachin, who died shortly after the election last year. And Jennifer McClellan won that race tonight in resounding fashion. She's going to be the first black woman to ever represent Virginia in Congress. And uh, there's still some votes left to be counted. But right now she is up by a 70 to 28 margin. And why does that matter? Because she is running very far ahead of Joe Biden's margin in the district. In fact, Joe Biden won the district by 36 points, but McClellan right now is on path to win the district by 44 points. So when you compare those two, when you look at the Biden baseline versus McClellan's performance tonight, she is running eight points ahead of Joe Biden. And let's remember, Joe Biden won the popular vote by four points nationally in 2020. If Democrats can replicate McClellan's performance. Look, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but an eight point overperformance is a ton. And here's the thing. I'm not just cherry picking. I'm not just cherry picking this one special election, because as we have seen over and over so far this year in about a dozen or so special elections across the country, Democrats are running well ahead of Biden's already strong numbers. On average, they're about seven points ahead, very similar to McClellan's margin. Now, look, we're going to see more special elections. Those numbers could change. 2024 is still a very long way off. But these overperformances, let me say, 
the special election performances actually tend to be quite predictive of what you wind up seeing in the ensuing general election. We've studied this very carefully at Daily Coast elections. So if Democrats are still running seven points ahead of Biden in November of 2024, it's going to be devastating for Republicans. This is really important. And, and let's let's not forget, David, there are elections in Virginia this fall for all 100 seats in the House of Delegates, which Republicans currently control by a 52 to 48 margin. And in the Senate, which is 22 to 18, it'll be 21-18 after um, Senator McClellan leaves for the, for the United States House of Representatives. But Virginia is, uh, an, it's an election year, and they have a governor, and one of my favorite parts of this um, election cycle in Virginia is how the Wall Street Journal at the end of December told us that the governor of Virginia was a GOP rising star, Glenn Youngkin. And this session of the Virginia legislature was going to help him burnish his right wing credentials. And he was going to be able to pass legislation that would help catapult his presidential career, which currently he's polling at zero percent. But um, but this is it all plays into this. This is all really important because remember, um, Youngkin won in 21 and and and, you know, he has <laughs> he was allegedly going to be this new kind of Republican. And of course, he's not. So really important uh, that we keep a focus on what's happening in Virginia for not only for 2024, but obviously for 2023. Well, hey, Joe, when you're at zero percent, nowhere to go but up, right? <laughs> It was it was. And of course, and I've mentioned earlier in the show, we had that great win in early January when Aaron Rouse won the uh, Senate seat in Virginia Beach. So let's um, let's move over to New Hampshire, uh, David. I mentioned this earlier, but let's dig into this one, because this first of all, and I got to say it again, the New Hampshire House of Representatives has 400 seats, 400 (laughs) <laughs> like, like it's a teeny little state. I went to school there. I'm from Maine. But anyways, uh, but it is so competitive right now. It is almost even. And there was a tie race in 2022. Talk about what happened tonight. So that tied race, the usual way that New Hampshire deals with tied races in the legislature is to hold a do over between the two candidates and Democrats kicked ass. That is the technical term for it in that race tonight. Democrat Chuck Grassy, and I want to be clear, not Chuck Grassley. This is Chuck Grassy. He defeated his Republican opponent by 56-44 margin. So that's a 12 percentage point margin. This was a tied race. So it was a zero point margin back in November. So that's a huge gain from November. And also, once again, it's a big overperformance from Biden, who won the district by about four or five points. So Grassy, like McClellan in Virginia, beat Biden's margin by about seven points. Very similar. But there's something I really have to stress about this race. Republicans were determined that it shouldn't happen at all. They won a very narrow majority in November. It was a gerrymandered map 
They went into the election with a double digit lead in seats. Despite the gerrymander, Democrats won a whole bunch of seats and brought the margin very, very close with Republicans holding just 201 seats. Republicans were going to use that skinny majority to say, you know what, to hell with this idea of a do-over election. We're just going to seat the Republican, even though it was a tie. That was total BS. And it completely blew up in their faces. A few Republicans actually defected from that scheme and rejected the GOP plan. And so we had this special election. And it looks to me like a massive rebuke of that power grab. And that's just freaking awesome. It's it's it really is awesome. And, it, it you know, this has been we have seen Republicans, election deniers are trying to cheat with elections in so many places, so many places that got rebuked in 2022 and some important secretary of state's races in Nevada, um, in Arizona, in Michigan, a few other places. And to see this rebuke uh is just terrific. And it also to show it. One of the things that's really interesting to me, um, you know, in Virginia, particularly, for example, we they've just been through a legislative session where Republicans were really trying to pass a lot of horrible anti-LGBT, anti-choice, um, you know, legislation. And they got shut down because of the Democratic Senate. On a national level, Republicans um, I think their biggest accomplishment so far in the House after, you know, spending a week trying to elect a speaker was Marjorie Taylor Greene screaming at Joe Biden at the State of the Union. They have no agenda. Huge accomplishment. They, right. But 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 like they think that they are really doing all this great stuff and riling up their base. And the first two months would seem to indicate otherwise. Uh, that whatever they're doing isn't resonating. What they're doing at the state level and what they're doing at the federal level just doesn't seem to be catching on. That's an early assessment, but there's something going on here. Well, look, they ran on a platform in 2022, really two things, crime and inflation. I haven't really heard them talk a whole lot about crime and they haven't done jack about inflation. Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't know what a state legislature is supposed to do, but it's not like congressional Republicans have uh, really tried to address the issue. Forget, forget, really, they haven't tried to address the issue at all. So, yeah, they are back to selling really the, the Marjorie Taylor Greene platform. She is a leader in their party now, and they are selling this crazy ass stuff that turned off tons of voters in 2022 and is going to turn off a whole lot more in the next couple of years and probably beyond. It's really it's really amazing. And, you know, you you're just watching it. And of course, one of the things we have to deal with is too many in the media think that because Republicans are doing this, that it's somehow a winning strategy. It didn't work for them in 2022. It didn't work for them in 2020. It didn't work for them in 2018. But yes, having um attacking immigrants, attacking the queer community, uh, deciding to take away uh, rights from over half the population. Maybe it's not a winning strategy. You know, they're not, it's going to take them a while to figure it out, but let's just keep winning while they're doing it. There, there, there was another race tonight that um, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> got a lot of attention. Uh, I didn't even know it was on the ballot. Of course, you, all, you and your colleagues did, but uh, Senate race in Kentucky. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, 
there's there's a reason why this is a fun one and i'll i'll deliver the punchline at the end so i'm gonna sound like a broken record uh i hope our does our audience know what records were yeah, or, or yeah. They, well, they, a lot of uh, the older ones of us do, but yeah, and I think a lot of the kids, the cool kids, do vinyl. That's right true. Now. That's true, right? Yeah, you know. So, um, uh, as long as we're not talking about rotary dial phones, uh, so this was a state senate special in a blue district in Kentucky, but uh, the Democrat there was uh, Cassie Chambers Armstrong. She also ran ahead of Joe Biden's margin, way freaking ahead. Joe Biden won this district by 31 points. She won it by 54 points tonight. So she ran 23 points ahead. That is really wild. It's especially wild because in these really lopsided districts, usually, you know, folks relax. They they don't bother, bother to turn out. But that doesn't seem to be happening. You know, we had a few special elections and some safe blue seats in Pennsylvania a few weeks ago where turnout was really high. Uh, you know, turnout in New Hampshire tonight uh, was uh, more than 50 percent of the turnout in November. Uh, you mentioned the Wisconsin turnout earlier. All right. So here's the funniest part about this special election that we just outperformed the baseline by 23 points. You know who lives in this district? Joe Sudbay? <laughs> please tell me, please. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. Yep. <laughs> he, his party just got his ass extra, extra <laughs> kicked. Extra kicked tonight by the Democrats in Kentucky. Gotta love it. Oh. And, you know, you know, you talk about uh, Virginia having races on the ballot in November. Well, Kentucky, we can't forget yes. Kentucky, you know. Governor Andy Bashir is up for reelection. Obviously, it's an extremely difficult state for Democrats, though. I will point out that last year we defeated an anti-abortion ballot measure. Right. And, uh, you know, Bashir, these these polls show him quite popular, which is remarkable. But, you know, multiple uncontradicted polls show him with like approval ratings in the 60 percent range. Um, and, you know, Republicans are going to have, a, you know, another messed up primary. Who knows who they're going to nominate? And, uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I, I can't say it's any worse than a toss up. And in Kentucky, we'll take that. And, yeah. uh, and and that's and that's, again, why I think, you know, there certainly seems to be enthusiasm. At least we're seeing it in this uh, um, Senate special election Senate seat in Kentucky. I mean, that's a pretty big leap from what, 31 to 54? That's a pretty big leap uh, of uh, of uh, showing um, enthusiasm. And uh, not, I, I love that it's McConnell's district, too, because of course it would be. Um, so anything else we need to know from tonight? I know there was a, a, a Senate primary, a Senate run, uh, there's primaries in a Senate race in Wisconsin didn't quite go the way we would have wanted to on the Republican side. Talk a little bit about that one. Yeah, this is the special election for the vacant GOP held eighth district in Wisconsin. And this is a big one because thanks to gerrymandered maps, Republicans won a supermajority in the state Senate in November in Wisconsin, and that with that supermajority, they could remove Democrats from office just because they looked at them funny, like for no reason at all, without a single Democratic vote. And, uh, you know, I'm not just like looking at the Wisconsin Constitution and making stuff up out of my ass. Republicans have actually threatened to, to, to use this impeachment power. So if Democrats flip this, 
then they roll back that supermajority. And 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 how absurd is it, Joe, that in a swing state like Wisconsin, a state that Biden won, that Republicans have a two-thirds majority that's completely messed up. In any event, uh, Democrats also tried to um, put their thumb on the scale of the primary on the GOP side. Didn't work out. Um, the less crazy candidate, Dan Knodel, won. He beat the absolute maniac candidate, Janelle Branch, and they're both members of the state assembly. But uh, you know, Knodel, by contrast, might look more moderate-ish, but he is very far to the right, and he signed a letter to Mike Pence saying, don't certify the vote on Jan 6th. I mean, think about how dangerous those kinds of messages are. That That's just straight up election denialism. And I think that there is, you know, definitely room to attack him uh, in the general election. The Democrat there's Jody habish Sinekin, and that race is going to happen the same day as the Supreme Court general election, April 4. So if we see this continued progressive enthusiasm, you know, this is a GOP leaning district They gerrymandered this seat, too. Um, but, you know, you can't can't rule out the possibility of a flip. Yeah. And it's another one of those races that if um, the resources there for Sinekin, it, it who knows what can happen, especially with the kind of numbers we're seeing tonight, too, in the uh, primary at the Supreme Court in the Supreme Court race. One of the other interesting pieces of this Senate uh, District 8 primary on the Republican side is it's a loss for Donald Trump, too, because he had endorsed yeah, um, yeah. Branson, who lost. So, I mean, you know, keeping that record intact, too. Yeah, I mean, uh, we, we, we didn't get the, the candidate we wanted out of that primary. But uh, on any night that that Donald Trump is unhappy is, uh, is 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 a night we can be happy about. And, you know, Trump must have had the shittiest week seeing Biden in Kiev. My God. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So good. <laughs> so amazing. Yeah, it was. It was. I've talked about it several times tonight, David. When I woke up yesterday morning, I I have to admit, I was not expecting that. I was just no. not expecting that. <laughs> and uh, I, you know, he, he, he got there. He, he got there before Putin and Putin thought he was going to be there last year at this time. And that that's going to. So. So in addition to Trump having a shitty week, his buddy over in Moscow had a shitty week. Um and uh, Trump's going to be campaigning tomorrow in East Palestine, which is so rich considering, you know, oh, he's the one that deregulated the kinds of, uh, you know, weakened the regulations that could keep people safe. Um, but, you know, it, what's he going to do? Go throw paper towels to them? Because that's about yeah, all he right? has to offer. Yeah. The guy well, who, you know, good. Nah, I was just going to say he's 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 having a terrible week. Putin's having a terrible week and we're having a great week, man. Yeah, we are having a great week. This is this is fun. I I I had that same kind of feeling, you know, when I when I asked you if you could come on, I thought, you know, I, I the last time we did this, it was really fun because it was um, as we were seeing the votes come in uh, in 2022 and turning out to be a much better night than we expected, much as tonight has been. So, uh, David, we are, we're getting some news. Let's let's just talk about 2024 for a minute. I know it's late. And you've been working all day. But um, we are getting a lot of kind of, you know, the California primary shaping up, Barbara Legan in the race. Uh, the Senate race, I'm so intrigued by, of course. 
Um, I'm intrigued by a lot of them, but certainly Arizona. And some of the recent polling we've seen from Arizona does not bode well for the incumbent Senator uh, Kirsten Sinema. Um, talk a little bit about that race. Yeah, at this point, there is no really, forget plausible, there's no implausible path for her to win re-election. The polls show her in like the teens because, you know, who's really, you know, she, she's not nearly conservative enough for Republicans and obviously Democrats pretty much despise her. So these polls are coming back, you know, like 40, 40, 20 with cinema 20 would be like a really high result, but it's more like 45, 45, 10. Um, and, you know, the, the, the one thing that's not clear right now, because the, different polls have shown different things, is who's she hurting more? Is she hurting Democrats more or is she hurting Republicans more if she stays in the race? Frankly, you know, she's so weird that you can't possibly predict what she's going to do. But do you really think that she will file for re-election if she's polling at 15%? That's that's the uh, that's the question I would have, too, because she really does. I mean, I've known her. You've known her. Uh, so many of us in the progressive world knew her back in the day. Uh, she certainly changed a lot. But this is someone who thinks she should be president. She really does. She's got this. She that's the you know, they all they they, they all think they can be president. But she really does. And people in um, Arizona who've known for a long time will talk about that, how she sees herself in that role. Uh, it's tough to go from 15 percent in your re-election in Arizona to being president. And I just think that would be too damaging. So it's going to be it's going to be really interesting. And now we're seeing, of course, that Carrie Lake might get in as the Republican. So, oh, um, yeah, yeah. Jesus. Well, you know, we're going to have to wait a, a, a bit of a while because Arizona's got a really late primary. It's usually yeah. in August. And so their their filing deadline uh, is not for uh, going to be for more than a year from now. And you know what? That's the that's the candidate filing deadline for the primaries. I'm not even actually sure what the filing deadline is for independence. It's often later. So ugh, she could keep us. She could drag this out for a while. I mean, she's already the most hated person in Democratic politics. If she costs us that Senate seat, I mean, she is going to make Joe Lieberman, I don't know, look like the Easter Bunny in comparison. Oh, my God. I was just going to mention his name. First of all, let's just say Ruben Gallego, Congressman, Democratic. Nom he's going to be the Democratic nominee. But I was just thinking about this back in 20 2006, when Ned Lamont defeated Joe Lieberman in the Democratic primary. And then Lieberman ran as an independent and the entire Democratic um, establishment line, national establishment lined up behind Lieberman. Bill Clinton did. I think Barack Obama did. The Democratic senators did. And what did Joe Lieberman do in 2008? He endorsed John McCain. So, you know, if people are treacherous, believe it. Believe them. <laughs> believe treacherous people are treacherous. And it's that it's so funny that you mentioned that that uh, Joe Lieberman's name, because I was thinking the exact thing about the two of them. David, I could talk to you all night. Uh, it's late for you. You've been working all day. Thank you so much. Um, David Neer, uh, you follow him at follow, obviously Daily Coast and Daily Coast Elections. Sign up for the morning brief because like I say every time. 
I drink my coffee, eat my oatmeal, and read <laughs> the Morning Digest um, from Daily Coast. And then you're on Twitter at uh, David Neer, DK Elections on Twitter, uh, The Down Ballot, which is a super podcast. And yeah, I know that'll be out Thursday. So, David, thank you so much. <laughs> it's always great to talk to you. Joe, it's always great. And when we have a good night like this, it's even better. Let's make a habit of this, David, talking on fun election nights. <laughs> it's because I'm clearly the good luck charm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Take care, David. <laughs>